Uh, Ethiopia is going through a very devastating war in, in, in Tigray. Our moderator today is Muridi Mutiga, who is the project director for the Horn of Africa at the International Crisis Group. Thank you. And Karibu Muridi. So thank you once again for joining us uh, in this forum in partnership with Henry Ball Foundation and the Elephant here in Nairobi. Today's forum will be looking at Ethiopian elections and what it means for democracy in Ethiopia. Karibu Muridi. My name is Pauline Otienoskepa and I am the forum and education manager here at the Institute. The Rift Valley Forum is a program of the Rift Valley Institute and is a neutral platform that is dedicated to critical exploration, discussion and debate on important political, economic and social issues within the Horn and Eastern Africa. So uh, without further ado, Muridi, I'll hand over to you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Pauline, and welcome, everyone. And Tzedali um, Lema, um, Adem Abebe, and my friend Abdeta Beyene, um, the focus primarily will be on the politics of the election. The, I'll, I'll just turn first to Adem. How did we arrive at this moment in the state it is in currently? With your quick thoughts about what the post-election environment, what the post-election future uh, is for Ethiopia. Should I go ahead or Sadara, do you want to? Yeah, Adem. Do you want to go? Okay. Um, now, th thank you very much, Murthy. I think so. I'll start from where I ended. Um, there is no single process that will address the challenge that the country faces. So, even if we had a perfect election, um, the political divisions, the ideals, the, the visions for Ethiopia that, that Sadala was talking about are contested. These are issues that have not been addressed and that will require additional and continuous processes. Um, so in, in that sense, um, these elections are not gonna exhaust the questions that the country faces. Um, so we, we would have to talk. Um, and, uh, and then one aspect of that, I think the government at least in the last uh, few weeks has said that they will actually engage in, in some form of inclusive dialogue. Um, but, you know, they've made a lot of promises, they've made a lot of blunders, which makes it very hard for us, for, for the Ethiopians, but also for international, uh, the international community uh, to know exactly how that's going to pan out. But at the same time, I think there is an understanding, even with, within government, um, that the elections are not going to solve these issues. Um, so there, there's going to be need for continuous engagement. Uh, and, and, and particularly, you know, um, often the, the problems in the country are seen as inter-ethnic challenges. Um, I would like to think that all the problems are actually questions of authoritarianism, one. Um, and often also the inter-ethnic challenges are actually manifestations of problems and competition within ethnic groups, particularly the two biggest ones. Um, so we would have to find ways to address the divisions within each of these groups and then hopefully later afterwards. So, 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 so to just to, to be very, very brief, uh, one, the elections, even good elections would not have solved the problems the country faces. So we're gonna need to sit together and address the questions that uh, all those missed opportunities could have addressed. So we have to go back to the drawing table again. Um, otherwise, what could happen is that, um, you know, we have a new government uh, based on a flawed election, claims legitimacy, use its confidence and tries to assert itself uh, just like the, the, um, um, the past governments have done. And, and that is of course a possibility. 
But what I could say is, is this. Um, I think as a country, uh, Ethiopia has managed so far somehow to be authoritarian and stable. Um, I think uh, particularly in, in the first two decades of the EPRDF uh, government, it has managed to be authoritarian and stable. During the Derg, um, it, it was authoritarian, but it was really not stable. Uh, and my sense is, is that uh, from now on in Ethiopia, it's very, very unlikely uh, that uh, Ethiopia will be like in the EPRDF years. I think if we, are, if we become authoritarian, it's very likely to be unstable. Uh, which is which is extremely extremely problematic, and I hope uh, that our political leaders, um, and as I said, those in government have, um, you know, considering their power, considering their resources, they have a higher level of responsibility uh, to make sure that even their interest, even their interest, will be served uh, with a stable uh, Ethiopia. And, and quite frankly. Uh, obviously, you know, as a, as a ruling party, uh, it would have faced a lot of challenge, a lot of competition in a fair election. Um, but even if there was genuinely free and fair election, uh, it's not a party that one can dismiss. I think they could as well have won the elections in a free and fair election, right? They would have faced tremendous challenge, tremendous competition. Um, so what I'm trying to say is essentially is that even in a democratic uh, contestation, it's not all lost for the ruling party. So I think they need to be more open uh, rather than to resort to the, the easier, uh, you know, that, that past dependent way of resorting to, to oppressive tactics. So I really hope, and I, I you know, I, uh, Abdetta has spoken about it, Sadala has spoken about it. What we are trying to talk about is the future, right? And the future is always there. It will be there tomorrow. It will be there the day after. So we, if we have to find answers to these questions that will spoil our future, we're going to have to sit together. There's, there's no going around this. Um, in other country, we can be democratic and unstable. Yeah. But I don't think as a country, Ethiopia now can be authoritarian and stable anymore. So there's, there's, there's absolute need uh, for engagement. There is absolute need for multiple tracks of engagement. Elections are critical, as flawed as they can be, they are critical. Um, if, 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 you know, at, at the minimum, they are constitutionally required, so you have to hold them. Uh, but we have to recognize that they are only a single, uh, um, a single part of the, 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 the puzzle that the transition in, in the country requires. So there has to be dialogue. Um, and I think because the elections have actually worsened the level of mistrust, um, I think we, we are going to need rebuilding of confidence, just like what Abi Ahmed and his new government did in 2018. You need to take some confidence building measures, and we need to do that again now, uh, because the elections have actually worsened the level of mistrust between, between the, the, the various groups. So before we engage in, in dialogue, before we rush to it, I think we need to have some, some confidence rebuilding measures. Uh, because otherwise, if we go from this state, from what you know, from the anger and mistrust and conflict that we find ourselves in, into dialogue, um, it, it might it might make it uh, more more problematic. So I think I, I think we need to engage first in some kind of confidence rebuilding measures. And I've actually in a recent piece tried to outline uh, what that could mean. Uh, I have shared it in, in in the chat. And then after that, I think the, the dialogue should come. Um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll stop there. Thanks. Yeah, over to Tzedale on the same question. Um, I, think, I think Dr. Adam has um, addressed it um, 
I don't think I would have more to add in that. So, but I would like to focus because I see some legitimate questions that on the chat room based on my, my presentation earlier. So if you allow me to address this question from Meron, uh, Meron asked some three good questions, all based on what I have said earlier. Um, um, yes, Tigray ultimately needs to be included uh, in this decision. So Meron would like to know, um, it takes two to tango. Obviously, this political violence is not happening in a vacuum. It involves parties. And that is why, uh, if you wanted to, to put an end to that and, and to reimagine the Tigrayan people into the Ethiopian polity again, end the war. End the war. And that is why the international community is calling on all parties involved in the conflict for cessation of hostilities. That includes the Tigrayan Defense Forces, that includes the withdrawal of the Eritrean forces from our sovereign land, most important. And that includes the federal government and the Amhara militia and the Amhara regional state laying down their arms. Cessation of hostilities involves all parties that are involved in this conflict and the withdrawal of Eritrea. Eritrea has, should have no role in cessation of hostilities because Eritrea is a different entity. We are invaded currently. So you cannot have the Tigrayan population reimagined into the Ethiopian body politics while having them occupied by an invading forces. Kick them out first, and then cessation of hostilities. This involves every party that are part of Amhara militia, Amhara regional state forces, the federal government, and the Tigrayan defense forces end the war and start a political process. That is the only solution to that. Number two to Meron's question is that in Oromia, how do we calculate the level of support for the Oromo Federal, Federal Congress and the, the OILF? Uh, other than to see the levels of support they have on the streets, of course, because they have never held a government office. But let's not forget that the same incumbent that's in office today, has been the same incumbent that was completely rejected by the Oromo people. In 2015, we had an election in which the ruling party, the EPRDF, which then had the TPLF in it, won 99.9% .9 of the, the parliament seat. What happened three months after that is the popular protest against this same very political entities, which lasted for four years and propelled Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. The Oromo people accepted the OPDO, as it was called then, because they you know, projected themselves as a reformed party. But what is the OPDO today? It has morphed into a political entity which is executing civilians in the street. So if the Oromo people are not searching into alternatives in the form of OFC and OLF and other political entities that are completely pushed out of the system. I don't know what alternative the Oromo people are looking for. So it's it's absolutely subjective to say that due to the street level, or can you imagine that they would get the support? What I know for fact is that the ruling party has been rejected by the Oromo people. And we have seen that for four consecutive years. It is the same party that's in the system today, in fact, the worst form of it. So I think the Oromo people would like to get other alternatives to that end. Number three, the, you raised about the legal issues, the circumstances that push these political parties out of the election. Yes, 
Some of them are the, the, the senior leaders, such as Jawar Mohammed, Bakana Garba, um, and uh, uh, Colonel Gamachu uh, Ayana from the OLF. They're all facing legal issues. It's been one year. The, the assassination of Hajaru Wundesa has not been resolved yet. This is one issue. So yes, they are facing the legal, legal circumstances in there. But this is not only to it. Combined, the two parties combined, they have 340 something offices forcibly shut down by the ruling party. This does not include any legal procedure against these individuals. There are also cases of dozens and dozens of cases that we as journalists are following, whereby these members of these political parties are acquitted by the court, released, and abducted by the police when they leave the prison offices. These are senior parties. That includes Colonel Gamachu Ayana, an executive of the Oromo Liberation Front. And so he has been abducted with nine other senior members a few weeks ago after he was set free by the judiciary. So this is this, you know, wrapping this thing up. Yeah, they are facing legal consequences. So they could not have been a process of the political problem is simplistic reductionist. So let's look beyond that and see what exactly happened. These offices should not have been closed. 300 something offices should not have been closed. It is not in any way a legal process that is backed up by the court. So this is the answer for Meron uh, for the three questions that you have raised there. And in the process, if I didn't mention anything, uh, you, can, you, can, you can ask me again, please. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, no thanks very much for that. Um, you, you just did my job in, a, in perfect fashion, so thanks. Um, but maybe if I could just come back to the panelists with a number of other questions, of course, updated them. If you would like to comment on any of those issues, please do, especially given how important the, the, the political uh, trajectory in Oromia is going to be. Um, but Abdeta, there's this question about what, uh, what role there is for uh, players such as the US, China, Russia, the Gulf countries, uh, particularly the UAE in the post-election phase. Um, you know, what, what potential role you see for them. Uh, but again, please feel free to comment on the other questions. And at them, there was also a question earlier about um, beyond the politics, there's an attempt um, maybe tentatively to open up, you know, the media. I know that seems to have closed down to a certain extent again. Um, but what about other actors, you know, civil society, the media, uh, what impact might the opening up of the telecom space have? Um, you know, just beyond the electoral politics. Uh, so let's start with that. Well, I, as I said earlier, uh, Muriti, I, I personally believe that um, the, 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 the strength, the level of strength between the state and uh, other stakeholders in Ethiopia remains uh, the, the gap between, between uh, the government and other stakeholders remain very, very high. Um, of course, going back to uh, the, the, the issue that uh, Sadala addressed earlier in terms of the OF, OFC or OLF uh, uh, participation, uh, I, I still think uh, that their impact uh, could have been huge if they had waited uh, uh, the, election, the election date um, before their, their withdrawal from, uh, from, uh, uh, from contesting the elections. They could have they could have damaged, uh, but uh, as, as um, uh, uh, I indicated earlier, in my engagement with, uh, with the traditional elders uh, in, in Oromia, uh, they have told us uh, uh, 
probably they should have been consulted uh, better uh, in shaping up uh, what should happen uh, in uh, in Oromia. In terms of uh, the role of the global actors, uh, I indicated earlier that national dialogue now has been advocated by everybody um, uh, across across the globe uh, to address the challenges Ethiopia faces. And now uh, it all depends on how uh, the elections play out and how the legitimacy would be challenged. Uh, if the government, um, it, it all, uh, because we are we are we are talking about a, a, a future a future scenario. If the government uh, finds uh, governing very, very difficult after uh, the election, uh, and if the results are contested through, uh, through crisis, probably the possibility for dialogue uh, remains uh, there open. But if the government uh, successfully completes the election, uh, as I said, selectively, then does the, the second round of uh, uh, election and there is no protest and the opposition accepts the, out, the, the outcomes except those who have, who have withdrawn, um, the government might, might uh, use that as an opportunity to clearly uh, stipulate that I have won the election, I have a mandate of uh, the people for the next five years, I govern, others should follow uh, sweet. That scenario is, is, is a possibility. And at the same time, uh, because uh, Ethiopia's um, economic challenges, the role of uh, uh, Western financial institutions in helping the economy progress uh, to address uh, poverty and related challenges in Ethiopia, uh, they, 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 they have a substantive uh, leverage on inducing possible national dialogue uh, dialogue in, in Ethiopia. Uh, in, in terms of the impact of probably the great great power rivalry uh, in Ethiopia's uh, uh, elections and, and developments in the whole, I personally believe that uh, the, the global order has 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 changed from uh, countering terrorism to uh, great power rivalry, and hence uh, in this. Um, uh, possible struggle uh, between big powers, uh, of course, countries like Ethiopia might uh, end up being victims. Uh, of course, uh, the positions and the policies, the foreign policies of Ethiopia uh, to make sure that its interests are respected both by the West and, and the East uh, might, might help. But in this process, there is a possibility um, uh, because of uh, that asymmetric relations between uh, big global powers and countries like Ethiopia, uh, there will be much more uh, huge pressure that Ethiopia might not be in a position uh, to, to, to handle. And don't forget, um, even if Eastern uh, uh, countries have positions, uh, they will act most of the time uh, on the base of their interests. Um, so they might not uh, challenge uh, um, the West's policy uh, on the horn uh, if their interests are not directly uh, affected. Uh, and hence, Ethiopian foreign policymakers uh, should be cautious uh, in, uh, uh, in identifying uh, Ethiopia's interests uh, in this uh, East-West uh, rivalry. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thanks, thanks, Abdeta. Just a very quick follow-up. Um, there's another question for you. To what extent is there an internal constituency for dialogue? Um, you know, we hear this very often, this demand, this prescription that uh, dialogue is what's needed, but to what extent is that reflected as a domestic demand? Um, I know it's a very difficult question in the absence of service, but what's your assessment? No, uh, um, actually, uh, one of the actors in, in, in the process of national dialogue is, is uh, the center that I head, Center for Dialogue Research and, and, and Cooperation. Uh, they, uh, uh, we have uh, Ethiopians for Inclusive Dialogue uh, that uh, the CDRC hosts. And, uh, and nationally, there is uh, MIND, uh, an organization uh, that has a consortium of various actors, including government institutions, uh, for 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 national dialogue. They, um, in a recent meeting that we had uh, in Adama, uh, Mind has declared the possibility of launching uh, uh, national dialogue in October, uh, following the establishment of of the government. We have to uh, wait and see. Of course. Um, uh, 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 mind and the consortium participating in those uh, in those forums uh, should work out the details uh, in, in in collaboration with the government on on the way forward identifying issues uh, for national dialogue uh, what are the issues what are uh, what are the possible uh, avenues uh, for dialogue what is the context uh, of of a dialogue uh, you might have followed uh, that in the Ethiopian social media uh, for us, uh, there is an ongoing debate whether national dialogue should depend on the outcomes of the election and how political parties uh, uh, win, uh, win uh, seats in the, in the, in the, in the uh, government institutions uh, to be represented uh, in, that, in that national dialogue. And, 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 and hence, uh, there is a strong, uh, there is a strong uh, constituency, uh, but as I said, uh, relations between the state and non-state, uh, other actors, other stakeholders in Ethiopia is so asymmetric that the government has always the possibility, the possibility uh, to have more leverage uh, in this process, unless um, a similar situation of the last uh, three years, four years of a uh, popular pro protest uh, forces the government. Uh, to accept it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks, Abdeta. Over to them, but if you could also take the question on why you assert that authoritarianism might not work successfully um, in a context where, you know, some claim that that has been the default for, for many years, um, and also where some claim that some people prefer that over, um, you know, insecurity in some cases. It's a very difficult question, but What's what's your reading? Um, okay, so can you apologize? Uh, can you remind me about the first one? Yes, the first one related to the issue of the opening up in other sectors, potentially civil society, potentially media. Uh, I know Sedale might also have some comments on that, um, and you know the liberalisation of the telecoms. Whether some of this general opening might have a beneficial um, uh, effect. Um, th 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 thanks, uh, Muruti. So. So it's, it is important, um, I think, um, compared, you know, and this is very important, compared to the pre-2018 uh, years, uh, there is some progress in terms of opening up the media, in terms of opening up civil society uh, and other areas. 
And unlike political parties whose primary purpose is to occupy power and implement their policies, the main function of the media, of, of civil society and all is to, to hold the government accountable to make sure it, it's actually re responsive. This is also part of the function of any political party. And I think it's something they should consider. So even if you are not in power, you still have tremendous power and opportunity to influence government policy. So in that sense, I think the more openings we have in terms of the media and civil society uh, would be critical. And I think the, the, we should also not underestimate, uh, although um, it's very difficult to, to say how quickly that, that will translate into, into actual power, but the privatization process, particularly in relation to the telecom industry and others, reduces the government control in terms of access to jobs, access to, to procurement services, uh, and also in terms of controlling the network, right? Even if we are not there yet. So in the long term, this reduced presence, uh, this reduced uh, opportunities for influence for the ruling party could contribute uh, to, to, to some progress. But at the same time, I think maybe Zadala can speak more about it. Um, increasingly, there is a lot of fear, particularly among journalists and the media, that uh, there is less tolerance. And, 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 uh, and actually, um, two days ago, even, you know, and I consider myself quite a moderate, I try to be, uh, to try to consider the different views uh, and all of that. Uh, but I was actually targeted by, um, uh, by trolls. So I had, I don't know how many people just tagging you, doing all kinds of stuff. I have been blocking like uh, about 80 or so accounts on, on Twitter in the, in the last two days. So you can see that there's a, there's a sense of that sense of suffocation uh, returning. And I can imagine that people who are on the ground uh, would feel more, uh, more, more restraint, more chilling effect, uh, and essentially exercise uh, more self-censorship uh, other results. But overall, I think, uh, you know, somebody asked what, what kind of other uh, process are there needed beyond elections? And, and one is strengthening these um, forced estates, you know, in, in institutions outside of the state structure that are critical to hold the government accountable uh, to make sure that it is, it is responsive in addition to political parties. Uh, so I think in that sense, they are critical, uh, but they, there is a lot more that needs to be done. In terms of authoritarianism, so um, because Ethiopia has been authoritarian for very long, um, but it was not always stable. Uh, for instance, if you look at the last years of Emperor Haile Selassie, uh, they were extremely unstable. It was a, an, an, an authoritarian imperial government. And when, when the level of consciousness, the level of uh, exposure to alternative forms of governance, to alternative forms of designing the structure of the state emerge, uh, instability has followed. And they, the 17 years of the, the Derg regime were also unstable. It was authoritarian and unstable. Um, and the first years of the TPLF uh, and the EPRDF were also unstable. So if you add this up, the Ethiopia's history is actually characterized by authoritarianism and instability, right? So that combination of authoritarianism and stability was actually new in a way in, in Ethiopian history. And, and that was perhaps, let's say, between, um, um, between to early 2000s and, uh, and, 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 to, and 2015, about a decade or so. Um, and even during the TPLF and the APRDF, we had the war in, in, with Eritrea. Um, there was, you know, the, in, in the beginning, they had the conflict with the OLF fighters. 
And since 2015, we had the protests and all. So essentially, if you take all of these out, the history of um, authoritarianism and stability is actually, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot shorter than the history of authoritarianism and instability. So uh, in a way, uh, if the future is gonna look like the past, the more likely scenario is actually authoritarianism and instability and not the other way around. Um, so, so what I'm suggesting is actually not so different from, from the past, but at the same time, I think um, the competition has, you know, there's a lot of uh, awareness, there's a lot of contest, and I think there's a realization as well within the, within the government that it would be very hard to be to be authoritarian and stable and, and I'll, I'll, I'll provide two examples the first is that um, as much as the center uh, can be very powerful um, it, 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 ha it would have to share power with the regions uh, because the, the regions have accumulated strong powers and quite frankly the the change of government that happened in 2018 would not have happened had Ethiopia not been federal had the uh, you know uh, uh, the current prime minister Abiy Ahmed Lema Magersa and the Amhara ruling party had they not have that springboard in Bahardar and in Adama and other places in the regions, the change that happened in 2018 would have been impossible, right? And the same forces, so that the center of gravity remains to be Addis Ababa, uh, but I think uh, it's more decentralized than we think, uh, and continuous authoritarianism within the center unless it finds a way to, to create a stable partnerships across the various states, I, I would find it very difficult. Uh, quite frankly, I think the context is, is that there's more demand for, uh, for democracy, I think, uh, and there are forces that are willing to, to, uh, to contest for that, that's one. And secondly, uh, actually looking at our, at our history, we, it's a history of authoritarianism and instability and not uh, authoritarianism and stability. So if anything goes, uh, it, it will actually likely be the, the same in, in the future. And as you see, what we're, ha what we're having today um, has been essentially since Abiy Ahmed came to power, uh, the, the, you know, there was, no, there was a, that, that sense of dominance, but it has been unstable and it continues to be unstable. Um, and I want to hope that um, democracy uh, offers us a more chance of getting into a sustainable, stable uh, manner than, than authoritarianism. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And then maybe Tedale, before you come in, just also if you could take the question on Addis Ababa being a bubble. Um, there's that quote uh, in the comment box that we have plenty of freedom in Addis, but not for the rest of the country. And also if you could broadly also discuss that question of freedom of expression and the environment. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that, that's a tricky question, you know, uh, Addis has always been a bubble of its own. Um, in a way, you know, if you look at the genesis of the, 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 the protest that brought in Abiy Ahmed to, to power, uh, the entire country, particularly Oromia, uh, Amhara regional state, um, and, and also to, to a greater extent, the Southern and the Somali um, regional states were absolutely shaking. And me being in Addis at that time, um, it was very difficult to connect with, with any passerby in Addis, knowing that, you know, as a journalist is sending my colleagues to report on those protesters and being connected 24 seven as to what's happening politically outside of Addis, and you, you meet your friends in Addis, it's a different world. So the reading has always been a different one. So Addis 
is its own bubble. But Addis is also under a proximity um, uh, oppression, uh, if, I, if I can say so. Today, if, if you are talking to a lot of residents, uh, many people, particularly after the war, uh, that, that, that's the ongoing war in Tigray, what's happening is uh, people are scared. People are scared even in Addis, scared to their silence. Um, the elites are scared. Um, earlier, there was a discussion that uh, Dr. Abdetta touched upon, or, or maybe Dr. Adam touched upon, about the, 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 the availability of civil society uh, organizations that can stand up and speak up uh, about how bad a war, an idea of a war with itself for a country is. Uh, you could talk to a lot of people behind the scene. Many are not approving of this, uh, th this war. But, they are also scared because they are in the proximity of being crushed. Proximity to power, that, that's a very ruthless, centralized power in Addis. So that, that is playing a lot of role in silencing the, the, the elites, the academia particularly. They have just gone radio silent. They have gone radio silent, even those moderate ones, such as uh, Dr. Adam, you know, he writes, he produces, he contributes even to Addis Standard. And there are other intellectuals that have completely gone radio silent on this war. And a lot of people would also tell you they don't feel safe because Addis is crawling with, literally, everybody would tell you, crawling with um, intelligence officers of the Eritrean government. This is, this is an open secret. I may be able to say it in public now, but ask anybody, people will confirm this to you that they don't feel safe. They're looking back at their shoulder. So at this, it's own, it is its own bubble, but also it's under a lot of fear because of the proximity of what, what's gonna happen from that centralized ruthlessness of the current, the, incumbent, the current government in place there. So this is, I think this addresses the, the dilemma of Addis there. Uh, but going back to the, 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 the allowing more freedom to the press and everything, as much as we were enthusiastic and I, and I gave a, an opening speech in, in UNESCO's event for World Freedom Day in 2019, I guess in Addis, in which I was really enthusiastically talking about how we really didn't have a journalist at that time in prison. Quite two years since then, you know, we have had 60 journalists in and out of prison within the last one year only. This is according to the statistics by the uh, CPJ. Uh, what is happening, the dynamics in the, in the suppression of freedom of the press now in play is that previously, and I have said that already uh, before, Previously, the, the kind of censorship that we were fighting against as media were, um, were a vertical censorship, government versus the media. What the government did now is to, to outsource its censorship to individuals. So it doesn't have to do the censorship directly itself, but it has a well-funded, well-supported, uh, well-pampered, you know, bloggers, opinion makers, uh, very poisonous opinion makers who are going after each and every critical voice in that country. No media is spared today from those who are actually financed by the government and are you know, uh, made to, to come after critical media in the country. The government has done that. We know that they know it. They know that we know it as well. So what the government did is outsource censorship to private individuals. This is very dangerous because previously you could, you know, you could deal with, with a very authoritarian regime, but now 
you are dealing with, with, with uh, decentralized and outsourced violence against the media. This makes it very dangerous. And that's what we are facing today. Uh, it, it, it's the same like the government's uh, failure in, in terms of controlling monopoly on violence. You know, what is playing in the last three years is that privatization of monopoly on violence from the government that has led into everybody who's armed to take it up on his or her own uh, hand to come and you know displace uh, thousands of uh, people and kill hundreds of people overnight. So there is that massive uh, privatization of, of monopoly on violence that the government was is still struggling to control. So the same thing is happening in terms of the media. So this makes it very, very dangerous for a robust media to come to hold the government accountable on its failure or to consider itself as uh, as a force estate, because it's just the dynamics are very different today. Um, so in terms of media, I guess, uh, and the rest, Dr. Adam has addressed it. But if you can allow me, uh, because there was a comment, a question from one participant in there in terms of voters disenfranchisement. Uh, yes, I mentioned about uh, Tigray and Ormea as a particular case, but that's really not the end of the story. We do have uh, more than half a million internally displaced people from Ben Shangul uh, Gumuz regional state, from the Amhara regional state, and recently a violence in Amhara regional state of the Oromia, the Oromo uh, Warada there, a special, a special zone. So we do have about half a million dis internally displaced people uh, in different camps today. And the electoral board did not come out with a program on how to involve these internally displaced individuals to get in, in, involved, with, to, get, to get their votes, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to get their votes cast uh, to the party that they would like to. So this voters disenfranchisement goes beyond and above Romia and, and uh, Tigray regional state and affects areas that are uh, affected by this incessant violence that, that has seen the days of hundreds of people in the last three years and also the displacement of half a million. So it's not that they, they would not matter. It was just I was putting Romia and uh, Tigray as a, as a case study of uh, voters disenfranchisement and voters apathy. Thank you. Yeah, th thanks, Sadala. I remember you actually made a comment which I found quite striking about the environment now of both vertical and horizontal pressure, uh, which is very striking and also quite familiar uh, in the rest of the region. Maybe if I could turn to Adem and Abdeta just with two questions, which I know you both um, uh, you know, deal with, have dealt with, um, uh, the role of the African Union. There's this question about why is there such a focus on the international community, which often is a shorthand for the West. Um, what role is there for regional organizations, uh, including the African Union and possibly IGAD and others? Um, but wrapped into that, is it a strategic mistake to privilege the election of uh, uh, trying to resolve conflict and disintegration? Um, you know, I know those are very heavy words, but you know, and I know you already tackled this, but if you could uh, just deal with it briefly, um, and then a final strand that's emerged consistently in the comments is, you know, um, is the, the whole panel downplaying the role of uh, non-state actors um, in, 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 in the violence around the country, especially, um, you know, they mentioned the TPLF and the OLA. Um, so is there, is it an analytical mistake not to recognize um, that this violence also is emanating from non-state actors? Maybe update a first. 
Well, the the AU EGAD, I think you have you have the answers, uh, Muriti. The AU always says interf interference in the internal affairs of countries, blah 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 blah, um, has been has 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 always been a sensitive issue. There are times where the AU has has uh, has determined uh, under the new uh, AU reorganized uh, the Af African Union uh, to intervene when. Uh, such heinous crimes against humanity, etc., uh, etc., et is, and I think they have determined that what is going on in Ethiopia has yet to reach that level. Igad is much more in in this in this array, following the, the the normalization between Ethiopia and and Eritrea. Igad is is nowhere to be uh, to be seen, and hence I don't think that we should be uh, expecting something. Uh, uh, obvious reasons. Uh, as you know, the current chair of IGAD is, is Sudan. Uh, Sudan has a border contestation. Ethiopia accuses Sudan of um, taking its territories uh, uh, in the contested border in, in Western Ethiopia. And hence, how should uh, Sudan uh, call an IGAD meeting? Very difficult. Uh, Sudan has tied its, its hands. Uh, unless there is uh, another country in consultation with Sudan that can call uh, an IGAD meeting, the situation between Ethiopia and Sudan uh, makes the possibility of IGAD playing a role uh, very, very difficult. Briefly, this is what uh, I can say for the, for the time being, uh, Muriti, thank you. Um, Adem, maybe we could also, both the African Union issue, but also the non-state actors, which you know, as, as, as been asked a few times in the quick um, Well, the, the African Union, Abdetta spoke about it. Um, unfortunately, the, um, the African Union generally, and this is a, um, there is a principle of subsidiarity that the African Union pursues in relation to the sub-regional organizations um, that, that uh, member countries are, are part of. So in that sense, uh, the African Union is giving precedence to, to, to IGAD. Uh, but unfortunately, as Abdetta said, one, the head of IGAD is actually an Ethiopian at the moment. So, uh, so he's, you know, he's part of um, the, the challenge. Um, so it, it would be very difficult to, for him to be there as a neutral actor because of his history um, uh, and affiliations with the ruling, with the ruling party. Um, and then secondly, it's also about uh, the, you know, the size of Ethiopia. It's a big country. It's the key member. And the African Union uh, and IGAD and all other organizations in Africa have always struggled uh, to deal with uh, countries that are, that, are, that are large enough uh, to sway the balance, right? Um, so, so I'm not surprised that the African Union has been very quiet. Uh, and what that unfortunately means is, is that it uh, erodes its cred credibility further. Um, so even when it acts in other contexts now, it would be very difficult for it to, 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 to claim that authority, that, that credibility, um, that it squanders by, by remaining silent in possibilities like this. Um, at least it could have offered uh, to, to you know, enable negotiations. And from what I hear, there's some chatter that the African Union may actually be involved more deeply uh, after the elections in enabling dialogue, uh, but this is just chatter. So I don't know if there is anything official yet. Um, but again, uh, it is a part of a pattern. It's not just in relation to Ethiopia. Whenever a big country is in trouble, the African Union finds it extremely reluctant uh, to engage uh, and often gives precedence to a regional organization 
and in our case, uh, IGAD, uh, which is which is actually more more problematic. Um, in terms of uh, elections being a strategic mistake, I think, um, as I said, uh, there's really no choice. I mean, you know, you, we, elections could have been postponed um, again, and it's unfortunate that COVID came in, and you know, and, and nobody could have anticipated that. And uh, I don't know if things would have uh, would have would have become different. As I said. Perhaps the, the war in Tigray would not have happened had Corona not happened because at least there would have been elections there and um, the elections would not at least have become uh, another point of contention. Um, but at, at the same time, you cannot be without elections. Um, and for the government, it is thinking about the legitimacy it has based on elections in 2015, which were, you know, which were really bad uh, to what can happen, what it can get now. Right. So if you think about it from the perspective of the ruling party, um, they think we'll have a better mandate today than in 2015. Right. So that's how they, they, they are thinking um, uh, at the same time. And then my biggest fear is not the elections themselves. My biggest fear is that the elections actually worsen the mistrust uh, and the, the contest that's already really tense. Right. And, and, and that's why I suggested that because the, the mistrust would be worse, there is, there is need to engage in a new confidence rebuilding measure before we can, we can engage uh, in, in, in dialogue. So elections, I think the elections on their own are not, uh, are not problematic in, in my opinion. But what happened is that because there was uh, so much trouble, so much political problems, and as that Adala tried to outline, take rise out, there's no competition in Oromia. Uh, and even in areas where there's competition, like in Amhara, the biggest fear, and this is even from the main opposition party in Amhara, their biggest fear uh, is, is that they may not win any seat at all in Oromia, in, in Amhara, even in Amhara. Um, so th there is a massive chance that the ruling party will secure maybe not 100%, but a, a very, very, very high landslide victory. Uh, which would make their claim for legitimacy as weak as before, right? Um, so, 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 just to, to, so to summarize quickly, I think we should not have conditioned, we should not have hinged uh, our, you know, the success of this transition on elections. They were just one part of it. Um, and I want, you know, as I said, I, I want to hope that bad elections need not necessarily mean uh, aborted transition. And, you know, a lot of people already think it has been aborted, that it's, it's, all, it's all lost. But as I said, um, everything that is in the future is not lost. Everything that is in the future is not lost. So we should keep pushing. We should keep presenting ideas, even as we think things are going wrong. Um, because if we don't push, if we don't say anything, the only, only alternative is that things will continue as they are, or uh, we resort to violence, right? And I would, I would rather believe that a continuous engagement um, uh, and continuous uh, attempt to recognize the legitimacy and the constituency of other actors, I think that positivity will produce better results than, than abandoning and resorting to violence. And which takes me to the, the last point you read, non-state actors. Um, in fact, you know, um, of course, uh, the, the, the state is, a, is a, you know, a key component of the, the power struggle that is happening, that the ruling party is a key component of the power struggle that is happening. And um, in, in, in Tigray, there's a more direct conflict, but in Oromia, uh, there, are, there is a OLF, OL, uh, the Oromo Liberation Army, the, the, the Shene. Um, and uh, the, the way they present it, these rebel groups present it as, as they're acting in defense, right? 
but they both have been guilty of uh, also, uh, you know, at least they have been accused of um, engaging in, in activities that are either intentionally targeted at uh, eliminating particularly ethnic groups, uh, or at least using those attacks as leverage to force the government to sit down with them, right? Um, so they're, they're, they are not completely innocent uh, in, in, this, in this political contestation. Um, but again, the origin is political, uh, you know, the violence is, is politics by other means. And if we cannot find a, a, a more genuine, a more proper way of uh, addressing this challenge, um, that might be our future and, and I hope it won't be.